0: All right, so Psalm 107, I've entitled this message uh, Thanksgiving. And so by way of introduction, I want to direct you to verse 8. Uh, look at, if you look at Psalm 107, verse 8, okay, I'm going to read it for you. It says, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And the reason why I'm jumping right into that verse is because verse 8 is the same as verse 15 which is the same as verse 21, which is the same as verse 31. So it's this refrain, it's, it's this chorus over and over through this psalm. And so it lets us know that the purpose of this psalm is thanksgiving. The purpose of this psalm is, is that we would be praisers of God. And, and so we, we're given there in verse 8 and 15 and 21 and verse 31 the reasons why we should thank the Lord. Notice, for his goodness and for his wonderful works. So we should thank God for his character, for who he is, and we should also thank God for what he's done. So for who he is and for what he does. And and that flows out of that, right? That we know if we can start with that, if we can thank God for his character, if we can thank him because he's good, then we know that these things he does, though we may not understand them in the moment how they can be good, we know that in the long run they will be So if we can be trainers of ourselves to thank God for his character, then we'll also be able to thank God for the works that he does. And and so that's really the heart of where we're going with this. Now, I want to to, to kind of plant this seed in your mind as we move through this um, idea of thanksgiving and giving thanks to God. And and some of you, though, are already in November when I said Thanksgiving. Uh, Some of you are already thinking about, man, I wonder if there will be a day where the high will be in double digits. I wonder if that, you know, will the Cowboys win and how many different pies can I eat? I want to bring you back from that. Okay, that's not the Thanksgiving I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about thanking God. And and this is something that, that, as I was thinking about this message, the Lord put on my heart is Thanksgiving is related to trust. Thanksgiving is related to trust. We can't truly thank a person that we don't trust. You know, when, when someone does something for us, but we question their motives, we're not really thankful, right? We, we, we know and we kind of have this, this inkling, well, they just did this thing because they want something from me, or they did this thing because they want me to owe them a favor later. So what happens is when we fail to trust, it short circuits our thanksgiving. So I want to encourage you as you move through this message, really, it's, it's really thanksgiving, but it's the heart behind it is trust. Will we trust God? Will we trust his goodness? Will we trust his character? Because I'm convinced that if we will truly trust God, we can thank him. But if we don't trust him, we won't thank him. So let's move into Psalm 107 now. And and so um, commentators believe that this psalm was written after the Babylonian captivity. So remember, the, the southern kingdom of Judah was taken captive. You know, we have guys like Jeremiah and Daniel and the rest that were involved in that being taken captive, and then that captivity was over, and there was a return to the promised land. So commentators believe that this psalm was written after the Babylonian captivity and after the return to the promised land. So that helps us to understand some of the imagery in here, some of the things that are, that are talked about. Um, and so, uh, again, it was originally written to those who were under the old covenant who are under the old covenant. Now, as New Testament believers living on this side of the cross of Christ, we are new covenant believers. Jesus Christ established a new covenant with his blood. So what I want to do is with this psalm, I don't really want to get into kind of all the information here or the historical um, you know, background for this. Instead, I want to take 107 and really go more app, uh, apply it. I want it more application to our lives. So I'm going to just touch really lightly on some of the history of Psalm 107 and what has being talked about. And instead, I would really want to move toward application. How, does this, how can we apply this to our lives as, as new covenant believers? And I think this is a really important thing. Uh, because sometimes as Christians, and if you're someone who likes a lot of facts, you're someone who, who's really interested in stuff, you can actually read the Bible just as a textbook. And you begin to read the Bible and you're like, okay, what happened here? And what's the date for that? And what's the history behind it? And you know, those all things are good, but if you stop there, you haven't really understood the Bible for what it is because we can't stop at the facts of it. We have to say, we have to ask the Bible, so what? How does this apply to my life? Because if, if I can remember you know when the the people of judah were taken into captivity by the babylonians that's good but if i don't do anything with that If it doesn't move to application in my life, it doesn't impact my character in Christ, then I really have stopped before I've gotten to the to what we need. So I really want to apply this. And I I hope that this is something that you and I do as we listen to Bible studies, you know, as we read the Word of God, that we don't be people who just are, are, you know, repositories of biblical knowledge, but instead we're people who say, So what? What do I do with this? How do I live this out? I would encourage you toward that. I would encourage you, even in this moment, that you ask yourself as I'm teaching this morning, so what? What does this have to do with me? How is this going to change my life? How is this going to help me to follow Christ better? How is this help me going to love God and love others? If challenge me, you know, to don't just say, well, you know what, Steve can put together a decent Bible study, but I come for the cinnamon rolls. That may be you. Please don't let me know if that's true. But I I really hope that you will apply the scriptures to your life and see what God might do as you and I choose to give him our hearts, trusting him and giving thanks to him. All right, let's just jump into these first three verses now, and we're going to see some reasons for giving thanks to the Lord. Verses one through three says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Okay, so the immediate context, right, is that the people have been brought back into the promised land, and so they're being thankful for that. They're being thankful that they've been gathered back into the promised land, that they've been taken out of those places. But, but I think that there's a great application for you and I. So these three reasons for giving thanks we find in these first three verses. Number one, we can give thanks because God is good right? Notice it says right there, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. God's character never changes. When we come to church on Sunday morning, and and I love coming here, we're a very friendly church, okay? What happens is some things might have happened during the week that we have to, we look at each other and how are you doing? How's it going? Some days we're going to be higher and some days we're going to be lower. Some days we feel good about life, some days we don't. And and so kind of it's, it's some kind of kind of be a moving target we have things like well did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed right that kind of thing the Lord's not like that the Lord's character never changes Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever we we, you know we say in MCA circles you know God is good all the time all the time God is good that's true why can I thank God today because God's still good I can thank God today because he's good but notice I have to trust that he's good I can't go to the internet and see the latest tragedy, the latest disease, the latest heartbreak that happened and say, well, because I don't understand this thing, well, God must not be good. I can't do that. If I judge God's character through circumstances, I've got it all backwards. What I need to do is actually judge circumstances through God's character. I need to think about, okay, how has God revealed himself? So so God is good, so we can thank God for God is good. Second thing we can thank God for here in these verses, notice his mercy endures forever. That word mercy, it's translated a bunch of different ways in the Old Testament, but what it really means is loving kindness and faithfulness. God's loving kindness and his faithfulness. How long does it endure? It says forever, that God is, is he's, he's loving kindness is, is toward us. He's, he's faithful toward us. And we read in the book of Lamentations, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, that his mercies are new every morning. Jeremiah pinned that in Lamentations as Jerusalem was being destroyed by the Babylonians. He, he wrote, God's mercies are new every morning. So we can thank God because we trust that he's good, that we trust that his mercy endures forever. And the third thing we see here in these verses, we, we can give thanks to God because we've been redeemed. Now, I love how it says from the east and the west, from the north and the south, You know, they, they, the, the, the Israelites have been captive, different areas, and they were brought back in. But I really see that as prophetic of the New Testament, that, that Gentiles will be brought from all over. That we come from, think about where we're from, you know, think about our stories. Think about how God has gathered us this morning so that we could meet together, so we can worship through him through song, so we can interact with each other, so we can learn the word of God together. And he's done that. He's brought us from the east and the west, from the north and the south. You know, being from the south is better, but no, no, yes. He's brought us from all these different areas. So that we can worship him. Now, that word redeemed is so interesting, and I want to kind of camp on this for just a minute because the word redeemed means to pay a debt or to pay a ransom. To pay a debt or pay a ransom. So 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 basically think about it this way: put yourself in this position. You find yourself, you wake up and you're you've been kidnapped and you're being held for ransom. But as it kind of all comes back to you, you realize it was actually through all of my bad mistakes that actually led to me being kidnapped. That's the situation that people find themselves in, right? They're they're in debt to sin. Uh, they're, They're held ransom because of sin, but they're the ones who did it. I'm the one who did it. So every single thing Jesus Christ has redeemed me from, has forgiven me of, I was the one who willingly participated in that thing. I chose to do that. So, so we see a lot of shows and movies and thrillers where uh, you know, an innocent victim is kidnapped and the hero has to rescue them. We don't often see where they get kidnapped and it was their fault that they got kidnapped. But that's a situation that you and I find ourselves in because of our sin But Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, has redeemed us. And so I want to talk about this redemption for a little bit. Um, I want to give you a few verses about redemption. You don't have to turn there. I'll read them for you. First one's Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The curse of the law. I don't know if you guys ever went to public pools growing up. I used to a lot. And you go to a public pool and what happens, you look at, there's a sign of all the things you can't do. (laughs) It's a long list of all of this and no running and no chewing gum and no talking and no, like all of these things you can't do. And you look at that as a little kid and you say, well, that's a curse. All these things I can't do. That's what the law of God is for us as sinners. It's a curse. We look at the law of God, you know, and and somebody did, I think it's like 608 or 609 different commandments they found in the old old covenant. And you look at that and say, there's no way that I can fulfill that. There's no way I can do that. And, And so if you think you haven't done that, if you think you haven't sinned, ask someone in your life who knows you and they'll let you know that you've broken the law. So it's a curse, but what did Jesus do? He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In other words, he took the punishment our sins deserve so we could be redeemed. He paid with his life that ransom, and so that we're let out. Next uh, verses about redemption, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. This is what Peter tells us how we redeemed. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. okay no one can be redeemed by silver or gold. You can't be redeemed and say, well, if I give enough money to God, then, then I'll, I'll earn my own redemption. I'll do this, I'll do that. No, it doesn't work. He says, you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, and I love this, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. In other words, you guys are trying to do some things that wasn't working. You're trying to fix it, you're trying to make it happen, wasn't working. He says, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Please understand this redemption that we can be thankful for, it only comes through Jesus's blood. Only through Jesus's blood. There's no other way of redemption. And in fact, the last verses on redemption I'll talk about right now It's from Revelation chapter five, verses nine and 10. We have a, um, it's kind of a, if you, the book of Revelation is in a sense a trailer of coming attractions. (laughs) It's telling us what's gonna happen in the future. And so believers are singing this to the Lord Jesus in heaven. In Revelation five, verses nine and 10, it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. That's exciting. Now, the reason why you and I don't get so excited about this is because we're really busy, we're really preoccupied. But if you had actually been literally kidnapped and held for ransom, and somehow you know a SWAT team or whoever it is got you out. You would think about that day every day for the rest of your life. You would think about how I was without hope. And then those guys stormed in and they rescued me. And you would be making cookies for those guys. You would be doing all these things because you would be so thankful. And so it's really important for us to, to kind of remember that what we've been redeemed out of. To be thankful for that. But also, kind of uh, as, as a, a little bit of a side here, I want to remind everyone, remind us, that there's no other way of salvation. You know, people say all kinds of things. Well, if you're a really good person and you're really sincere, you do this or you do that. You no, no, we t- we're told in the Scriptures, Jesus Christ's blood is the only thing that redeems. Only Jesus Christ can redeem us. Now, I want to talk about being thankful for just a minute And here. If you don't feel thankful today, You don't feel thankful in your current situation. You don't feel thankful because of how your body feels. You don't feel thankful because maybe there's something going on at work or in a relationship or whatever it is. You may be in that place today. And you may just say, I don't feel thankful today. Well, I want to give you an exercise to kind of work through. And and the Lord gives me these kinds of exercises because generally speaking, I'm not a thankful person. So he has to kind of give me these. So if you... If you don't feel thankful today in your current situation, here's the first thing I want you to do is I want you to find something to be thankful for in the past. I I want you to think about something that you can be thankful for in the past, something that's gone by, something that happened before, and the obvious first place to go with this is that Jesus died for your sins. In the past, Jesus died for you. He redeemed you. God demonstrated his love for you, by dying for you by sending Jesus Christ to die for you. That's something to be thankful for. That's something unchanging. So that's something from the past. And that if you spend a little more time, you could probably find a lot of things in the past. Right? I've talked about it before. You can go through your, your photo stream. Right, And look at your kids and kind of think about the things you did together and family vacations and all that kind of good stuff. So think about something from the past. Then the next thing I want you to do is after you spend some time doing that, I want you to find something to be thankful for in the future. Find something to be thankful for in the future. And and think about this. The, you know, the, the thing that really kind of gets me going about the future is seeing the Lord Jesus face to face. To be absent from the body is to be present in the Lord, Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians. So So think about that. You have a future where you're gonna see the Lord face to face. You have a future when you're gonna get to see how God has brought all things together for the good. You have a future when you're gonna live in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more death. Those are things to look forward to. So think about what's gonna happen. All right, here's past things I can be thankful for. Here's future things that I can be thankful for. What's gonna happen is is that's gonna kind of meld together into the present. That's gonna change your perspective. That's gonna change my perspective. And so what's going to happen is you start thinking about things to be thankful for in the past, things to be thankful for in the future, then you're going to start finding reasons to be thankful in the present. You're going to start thinking, okay, well, if that's what God's done in the past and that's how faithful he's been and that's how he's brought these people to salvation and that's how he's answered those prayers and then this is what he's promised for for me in the future and that's what Paul looked forward to and that's what they all look forward to and then what's going to happen, that's going to kind of start occupying your mind and your heart to such an extent that it overflows into your present. And, and so you're going to be realize, huh, God is actually working in the present, weaving it together with my past and with my future, and so I can be thankful for all that he's doing. And so, so one of the things that I do, and I'll, maybe it'll be helpful to you, maybe not, is, is I'll just go to the Lord and be honest and say, I don't know what you're doing in this situation, and I don't like this situation, but I'm thankful for what you're going to do. I'm thankful that you're working. I can't see it. I can't understand it. Your ways are above my ways. Your thoughts are above my thoughts, but I'm going to thank you in this moment for it. Because I want to remind you of this. It is virtually impossible to interpret the present. It is virtually impossible to interpret the present. If If you don't think that's true, then when college football season rolls around, watch the shows where the guys in the present try to predict what's going to happen. And the games, oh, this game's going to go this way, and that game's going to go, those guys don't know what they're talking about. They get paid so much money, (laughs) and they're rarely ever right. So it's virtually impossible to interpret the present. We can only, and also, we can only partially interpret the past And we are only, you know, we can only fully understand all of these things when we get to our final future, the new heaven, the new earth. So please understand that. Because you and I, what we do so often is if we get frustrated, we look at the present and we predict the future. Okay, this is what the present situation. And so A plus B equals C. And then we start kind of doing the whole thing out. And then... I don't know about you, I've never had a single day that I've ever lived that turned out the way I thought it was going to. I stink at predicting things. So instead, just say, you know, I'm going to trust the Lord in this situation. I'm going to trust what he's done in the past. I'm going to trust what he's going to do in the future. I'm going to trust him for this present moment. I'm going to give him thanks for that. All right, let's continue on in Psalm 107. Let's let's jump into verses 4 through 9 now. It says they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way they found no city to dwell in hungry and thirsty their soul fainted in them they cried out to the lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place oh that men would give thanks to the lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works for, to the children of men For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Okay, that's provision. And we see this throughout, right? We saw that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, then God provided manna every day, Right? He provided water from the, the rock. He provided quail for them. And so this is kind of a common thing. This is something that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Right, Don't worry about these things. Don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about your food. The Father knows what you have need of these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll worry about its own things. All of this, this is a common, common thing that God provides physically. And we know we need that. But I, I want to apply these verses to really a spiritual hunger and thirst. Because we've all experienced this. We've all experienced what it is to be physically satisfied. We ate a good meal. It was great. You know, we, we were thirsty. And we got something to drink. But we still felt an emptiness inside. We, we still felt a hollowness inside. And so we can't stop at physical provision. We need to move on to that spiritual provision. So I'm going to share a couple of verses with you. One, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, one of the Beatitudes, Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's good to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's good to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. It's good to say, man, I just want more of the Lord. I want more of who he is. I want to be more right in his eyes. I want to do the right thing. That's a good thing. God wants to fill up a vessel who does that. Now, it's important that we understand that this righteousness we desire, this hunger and thirsting for it, that it's not primarily just so we'll feel good about ourselves. Okay? But it's actually so we can be these vessels that God uses. When Brandon and I were going back to Calvary, Houston, you know, it's formative years there. We spent four years in that church. We learned a lot. And One of the things I remember hearing was talking about how believers should be the Sea of Galilee and not the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee and not the Dead Sea. Well, why is that? Well, nobody wants to be the Dead Sea. That just sounds gross. But the, the difference between them is the Sea of Galilee has an inlet and an outlet, and the Dead Sea... Just has an inlet so for us as believers we want to be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness so we have this inlet we're taking in from the lord the lord has pouring out his holy spirit upon us but then we also want to give to others and so that inlet and outlet gives life but if we're believers who say i just want to be fed i just want righteousness but i don't want to share it with anybody i don't want to give it to anybody i don't want to share my gifts i don't want the spirit flowing through me i just want to kind of keep the spirit inside then what happens we're going to find that that we don't feel very good about life. So it's really important for us to have that inlet and that outlet. And so the lesson that I really take from these verses 4 through 9 in Psalm 107 is to trust God to provide your daily bread, right? He asks for us to pray for that. Give us this day our daily bread. Ask God for your daily bread. But please don't make your physical daily bread your primary focus. Don't make that your primary focus. That's what most human beings do because we as human beings, we're so material bound. It's just about the stuff. And if I have enough of the stuff and the stuff is safe enough, then I'll be happy. But you look at people on planet earth who have the most stuff and they're not happy. So ask God to provide your daily bread, but don't make it your primary focus. Instead, ask God, give me a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness. Make me hungry and thirsty for the things of you. Because what happens, it's going to take some training. Nobody liked coffee the first time they tried it. And please, if your coffee is basically a milkshake, I'm not talking to you right now. Okay. I'm talking about, you know, just a a black coffee. You got to really train yourself to like it if you're going to like it. It takes a training. So much of with the Lord, that hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're just like, ugh, it doesn't taste very good. But the more that you ask for that hunger, the more you train yourself to it, to attune yourself to it, then what you're going to find is, this is what I've been looking for. This, This is what I need. All right, let's move on to verses 10 through 16 now. Talking about the deliverance from the Babylonian captivity. It says, Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful uh, works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Now, okay, so the, the, again, the, the initial writing of this was really speaking about those who had been in physical captivity. They were in the Babylonian captivity. And God brought them out of that Babylonian captivity. So we have this, this beautiful imagery of, of these prisoners who are set free, that in their prison condition, they're just overwhelmed and upset, and, and they need help, and God released them. And there's a lot of that in the scriptures. There's a lot of people who are imprisoned, and, and then God releases. But you know what? There's also people who are in physical prisons and never get released. And so we we see both of those things, but really what I want to take from this, the application for New Testament believers, the imagery as I was reading this really reminded me of Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, verses 13 and 14. This is what Paul wrote about for us as believers, that Jesus has delivered us, or God the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So again, the same imagery that we've been thinking about, that we were, we were in the power of darkness. We come into this world, right, and we give ourselves over to sin. And the power of darkness has more and more control over our lives. So, so God the Father delivered us out of there through the death of his son, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I love that word in the, in the New King James, he conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You know, we're, we're talking, to Brandy and I were talking about this. Some of you in here will re- remember this place. Some of you won't, but there's a place called Service Merchandise. Uh, an old place called Service Merchandise, and you would order things, and it would come down on a conveyor belt. And Brandy was pointing out, it was like the first Amazon, but you just had to go there, you know? And so you would bring these things. And so I think about this conveyor belt that Jesus, God the Father has rescued us through Jesus out of the kingdom, and then he puts us on this conveyor belt and moves us into the the kingdom of the Son of his love that's where you and I are that's a wonderful thing and so I wanted to remind you of, of three really important five dollar words in Christianity that, that are helpful for us to remember this and it's a really a three-part process in what God's doing so the first slide you'll see the word justification justification so th- so this is how God's delivered so the first is justification. It's really important that you get these, your understanding of it in your mind. The moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you were justified, okay? And so that's a past event. You've been justified, and so you have been, notice that past tense, you have been delivered from the penalty of sin. You and I, as believers, have been delivered from the penalty of sin. The penalty that we deserve for our sins was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. So, so the fact of the matter is, you and I will not be judged at the great white throne judgment that you read about in Revelation chapter 20. That's only for unbelievers. That's for people who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So we've been justified. That's, so, so that's another thing. That's another past thing. It's obviously tied to redemption for us to be thankful for. Okay, now let's move on to the next slide. And this is the next word, sanctification. That's present tense. That's what's happening right now. As a believer, we are being delivered from the power of sin. We are being delivered from the power of sin. So that's a present tense. Now, please understand, sanctification is not this, like, well, I'm, you know, God, just, you know, give me the IV, put me out, and you do the work while I'm asleep, Sanctification is how we participate in submission to the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, conforming us to the image of his Son. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging. But what happens as we submit to God, as we walk in the Spirit so we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, as the fruit of the Spirit is being born through us, as we abide in Christ, then what happens, we're going to be continually delivered from the power of sin. We're gonna realize, you know what, this thing really, it used to appeal to me. It doesn't do anything for me anymore. There's a better way. There's something different for me. So that's the process that you and I are currently in are in that process of sanctification. We're being delivered from the power of sin. And then what we have to look forward to in the future is glorification. Glorification is when we will be, so future tense, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. Please hear me, believer. There's coming a day in your life in your future, in your glorified self, that sin will have no appeal to you. You won't have a sin nature. You won't have sin around you. You're not gonna have to lock your door in your house in heaven. <laughs> it's gonna be great. There's gonna be no more car alarms. There's gonna be none of those things. So, so I, I, I bring this out to you, not to just say, well, you know, Steve's taking theology classes and that's why he's bringing this stuff out. I bring this up to you Because as a man or woman thinks in his or her heart, so is that person. So if you and I are confused about these things, if if the enemy who the whole world lies under his sway has confused our hearts and minds about what God's doing and where this whole thing is going, and I'm not sure that God's got his hand on the wheel, then we're going to be sidelined. But if we can think clearly about what God's doing, if we can submit ourselves to that, If we can actually be good soldiers who fight the good fight, who finish the race, then what happens, we're going to see God work through our lives. We're going to see change. We're going to experience what it's like to be a soldier for Christ. All right, let's continue on to verses 17 through 22 now. Psalm 107. We have here, we says, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food. They drew near to the gates of death. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Okay, so three things I want to bring out here, three ideas. Number one is sin leads to negative consequences. Sin leads to negative consequences. You'll never believe that if you just watch commercials because everybody getting drunk in commercials are having a great time. Nobody's ever killing somebody in a, in a, you know, as they drive drunk. Nobody's ever getting an STD on those commercials. Nobody's ever doing any of those things. They, they present sin as it's good, and that's advertising, right? But we have to understand the scriptures make it clear, and, and, and we don't have to even, let's be honest, we don't have to read the scriptures to know that. We've committed sin in our life, and we've seen the negative consequences. We, we've experienced that. The, the Greek word is we've gnoscoed it, right? To know by experience, so sin leads to negative consequences. We see that. Second thing I want to bring out though is God, God's word brings healing. Look at verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. If you want spiritual healing in your life, get into the word of God. Don't just read it. Actually, Let it wash over you. Let it cleanse you. Say, man, this looks really hard, but by the power of spirit, I want to obey this thing. I I want to do what it says. I want to make the word of God my governor. I I want it to tell me what to do. It's my master to to lead me and guide me. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter three, the last letter he ever wrote as he was awaiting execution in Rome. 2 Timothy Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. He said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you and I want spiritual healing in our lives, then, then we need to let his word come into our lives. Go to his word. Obey his word. Trust his word. You'll find that healing. Third thing that we see here, um, verses 17 through 22, is that after healing, we're to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Notice it there in verse 22. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. How is thanksgiving a sacrifice? Hmm. Because we have to admit that another person's done it for us. It's a sacrifice of our pride. You know, it's something built in human beings, right, that we want to take credit for stuff. We have this natural pride. And, and, I've, and as I was thinking about this, it's, it's you, you guys, well, you guys think I'm weird for a number of reasons. But one of the weird things I love to do, I love holding the door open for people. I'm a natural usher. That's really what God's built me for. And so when I open the door for people here, you guys are willing to just come on in, Right? But when I open the door for people somewhere out in life, about 95% of the time, they'll say thank you, but they'll also put their hand on it. Have you guys noticed that? That's a really common thing. And that's what I was thinking about. Why is that? I think it's because people in our natural pride, we don't want someone to help us. We want to do it. We don't want to owe anybody anything. It's a sacrifice of our pride. So next time someone opens a door for you somewhere, just put your hands at your side. Just walk straight in, you know, like a penguin. Um, and they'll think you're weird, but, but you're saying no to your pride. Right? And so I think that's what's going on here. Pride contributes to our unthankfulness. And so when we have a sacrifice of thanksgiving says, God, anything I've ever done that's have been of good, it's only because you gave me the opportunity to do that. You gave me the ability. You're the one that keeps my heart beating. You're the one that directs my eyes toward these things. So the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and the reason why I'm such an unthankful person is because I'm so filled with pride. True thankfulness says, it's not me. I'm not the one who did it. It's not about me, it's about him. And so um, offering us the sac- sacrifice of thanksgiving, it's, it's a laying down of our pride. All right, let's look at verses 23 through 32 now, talking about God's power over the sea. It says, those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man They are at their wit's end. And so the, this is like basically the deadliest catch <laughs> right here. Um, and they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings out of them out of their distresses. And then please take notice of, of verse 29 here. He calms the storm so that his waves are still. And they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Okay, so the big picture here is that, that, that God right is over the seas. That that God is controlled over the seas, and that's really, really important. So hold on to that thought that he calms the storms so that his waves are still. And would you turn to Matthew chapter 8? It's maybe the latest I've ever had you turn somewhere. Uh, Matthew, or for the first time, I should say. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, let's look at verses 23 through 27. Now, as you're turning to Matthew 8, here's what's going to happen. You're super familiar with this. You're very, 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 very familiar with this passage. So I'm going to ask the near impossible, I'm going to ask you to look at it with fresh eyes and look at it through the lens of Psalm 107, 29, that it says God calms the storms so its waves are still. And so by looking at it through that lens, I want you to see that the calming of the storm, something very, very familiar to us, is a clear, clear indication of the deity of Jesus Christ that Jesus Christ is revealing his deity through calming the storm, something that, the, that the, a, a good Jewish believer would have known about from the Psalms. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27 says, Now when they got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. So it's also good if you want to take a nap today. Jesus takes naps. So you've you've got biblical indication of that. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him and said to him, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Okay, you may be in that place today. Right? You're in a situation, a difficulty, a hardship. How long is it going to take? Why doesn't God care that I'm perishing? I'm drowning in the situation. The storms of affliction are coming over the boat. But notice what Jesus said to them. Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? He's like, you're not going to drown. You're in the boat with me. So he arose, here it is, and rebuked the winds and sea, and there was a great calm. And so that rebuke there, it could be muzzled. Um, He muzzled the wind of the storm, or basically he told the the wind and the seas to shut it. (laughs) And it calmed. And so the the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and sea obey him? Well, we know because we have the full picture. We know because we've just been seeing Psalm 107, verse 29. We know that this is God in human flesh. And so we have this this wonderful picture, so I I want you, this is kind of a, a little additional to my message, next time you're reading through the scriptures, look for those places that show you the deity of Christ. And this is something that if we weren't familiar with what the Old Testament has to say about God in relation to the sea, we might overlook that. But it's a clear picture of the deity of Jesus Christ. All right, back to Psalm 107, we'll look at verses 33 through 38 now says he turns rivers into a wilderness and water springs into dry ground a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it he turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry lands into water springs he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest he also blesses them and they multiply greatly he, he does not let their cattle decrease and so that's a little nod to Texans right there. Um, so, but basically what we see in verses 33 through 38, it's God's sovereignty over the earth. That God's sovereign. That God's the boss over all things and, and that he can take a land and turn it into a blessing for people or he can take a land and turn it to a curse for people. And we see this all throughout the scriptures, that if the people walk in obedience, then what's going to happen? Hey, God's going to bless you. And gonna be, If you walk in disobedience, the land's going to be really difficult. So is just a reminder that God is sovereign over all these things. That God's sovereign no matter who's running for president, no matter you know, how all these things take place, God is still sovereign over all these lands. Now our final section, verses 39 through 43 here. It says, And when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous see it and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Okay, so. So some kind of general ideas from these verses here really related to pride and humility. That's one of the main things. And we see this throughout the scripture that God humbles the proud, but he exalts the humble, right? Jesus says, if you exalt yourself, I'm going to have to humble you. But if you humble yourself, I will exalt you. That's a, so, so if you say, I, I really want the Lord to exalt me. I really want the best that the Lord has for me. I, I really want that. You know, that actually is a good thing. But here's what you have to do you have to humble yourself. You take, take, take the lowest seat. If you, if you and I would simply situation by situation say, I'm going to take the humble seat. I'm going to take the low seat. And I'm I'm not going to Facebook about it afterwards. I'm not going to take a picture of myself doing the low seat and showing everybody about it. No, no. I'm just going to take the lowest spot. Then God, he'll exalt me if, if that's what he wants. And that's such, such a free place to be. But there's another thing when it comes to the proud and the humble. It's mentioned, I believe, three or four different times in the scriptures that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay. There are a lot of, you know, self-professed, intelligent people in this world that can't seem to believe in God because of their pride. So, so they're like, well, I don't know. And God hasn't ever spoken to me. Well, it's because you're too proud. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're a person who's honest with yourself and say, I want grace, I would love as much grace as possible. Grace and mercy, that's what I need. Then what God says is, well, humble yourself because I'll give grace to the humble. But, and this is, I've also found this, if you and I want to live in pride, then God will resist us. I I 100% believe there's been people in your life that you tried to push physically and you couldn't do that because they were just too big and too strong, the sovereign God of the universe, you can't push him. (laughs) So if you want to be proud, he will resist you, and that's going to cause pain. It's going to cause difficulty. Third thing we see here in these verses is that the wise will see God's ways and rejoice in them. Notice that last verse 43. Whoever is wise will observe these things. They will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. And so it it backs up to the first part of verse 42 there, where it says the righteous see it and rejoice. So it's this idea that as we humble ourselves, then what happens, God gives us grace. And part of the grace that he gives us is he allows us to see how he's working in this world. He allows us to see beautiful things from his word. And then we rejoice in those things. And we say, well, this is what life is all about. Well, we'll stop there for today and I'll move into my conclusion in just a moment. Um, We'll sing a worship song and we'll have communion and and I'll explain that in just a minute. But but as we close, I want to give you three reasons for thanksgiving and it's brought from earlier in the message. It's our justification, sanctification, glorification. I think that's a great place to start. And so I wanna remind you that justification is that we have been past tense been delivered from the penalty of our sin. That you and I, no matter what's going on in our life, We can set our mind on the fact that every sin that we've ever committed has been paid for at the cross and we can just take a breath. That's a wonderful thing to be thankful for. Second reason to be thankful is our sanctification. That right now, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the storms, that God's doing something. That he's delivering us from the power of sin. He's conforming us into the image of his son. That we are being delivered from the power of sin. That the Holy Spirit is filling us and empowering us and gifting us in that process because God the Father wants each of us to look as much like his son as possible. And thirdly and finally, we can be thankful for glorification that the day is coming when we're going to be delivered from the presence of sin. We'll have no more sin nature ourselves. There'll be no sin around us. We can enjoy unhindered fellowship with God and fellow believers, and that's a wonderful reason to be thankful.